Welcome to the Network Marketing Heroes Podcast, hosted by 38-year network marketing veteran, author of best-selling books, The Four-Year Career, and Mach 2 with Your Hair on Fire, and world-renowned speaker, Richard Bliss Brook. Learn from extraordinary leaders and get a behind-the-scenes look at what it truly takes to become a network marketing hero. Stay tuned after this episode for an exclusive discount code to get 10% off Richard's tools at blissbusiness.com. Welcome, everybody, to our Hero Series call. Tonight is a very, very special call. It is the 50th call, and so we thought for the 50th call we'd do something special and let you guys hear from the person who came up with the brilliant idea to facilitate, host, and interview these calls every other Wednesday night. And of course, that would be none other than Richard Brooke himself. We are sitting here in uh, Lanai, Hawaii together, enjoying the beautiful sunshine. And I've been looking forward to this call all day and reflecting on when I first met Richard and some great stories that you'll be hearing tonight. But let me tell you guys a little bit about Richard for those of you who might not know his background. I'm going to briefly fill you in on his background and then we'll bring him on. You know, in 1977, Richard had been chopping chickens for four years at Foster Farms. Some of you guys may not have heard that story. And at the age of 22, he actually decided to leave Foster Farms and take a different direction, which would be that of network marketing. And in his mind, in that first year of network marketing, he actually quit over 100 times and definitely saw thousands around him quitting, but he stuck with it. And three years later, good thing he stuck with it because he had 30,000 active partners building in his business. And by the age of 28 years old, he was already earning $40,000 a month in the 70s. Can you imagine that? $40,000 a month in the 70s was a lot of money. He made his first million before he was 30 years old. And at the age of 37, you guys, he was featured in Success Magazine, the first to be featured ever about network marketing. So this was a really big deal, not only for Richard, but for the entire profession. In 2013, Richard would have been retiring from Foster Farms, and his life would have been incredibly different. First and foremost, he wouldn't have been married to me, not to mention that he is living the life his life to the absolute fullest and he's spreading his passion and educating people and promoting ethical network marketing which is definitely his niche in the profession and he's spreading this to thousands of people not only through his own company bliss business but to all network marketers he's a senior member of the dsa ethics committee and he also owns his own network marketing company and he is the man who brought you guys the amazing viral series Super MLM Man. So if you haven't seen that series yet, you can go to blissbusiness.com and check out his videos there. He's also the best-selling author of Mock 2, The Art of Vision and Self-Motivation, and of course, The Four-Year Career, which this call was based upon. So obviously, he's normally the host of this call, and tonight we thought it would be fun to shake things up a little bit and allow me to interview Richard. And so we got a lot of fantastic questions posted by many of you on his page and my page, and we probably need far more than an hour to cover this call, but we only have an hour this evening. So we might not be able to get to all of your questions, but you guys will absolutely get plenty of nuggets, lots of laughs. And so, Richard, I'd love to bring you on the call. Are you here? Hi, honey. Hi, honey. How you doing? 
I'm great. I'm locked up in the spare bedroom. <laughs> he is. You guys, he's in the spare bedroom, and I'm in the living room so that we don't have an echo going back and forth. So, um, well, Richard, it's really fun to be doing this with you tonight, and I'm just going to dive right in and ask a question that comes up for me over and over again for you, and it's about your passion and your commitment to this profession, and it blows me away. You know, you've been involved now for almost 40 years, possibly one of, if not the, longest individuals involved in network marketing. And you've definitely seen the bad, the worst, the ugly, and of course you've seen the very best of network marketing as well. But we all know how challenging this profession can be, and yet after 40 years, I'm just going to say 40 even though it's not quite 40, but after 40 years, your entire adult life here pretty much, you still are so passionate and alive and excited about network marketing. And i got to tell you that your excitement and energy fuels me and allows me to keep going on a regular basis. So what I'd love you to kick this call off with is can you share how you keep this passion burning so strongly after all these years? Well, um, I, yeah, I think two things. One, I practice what I preach in Mach 2. The self-motivation is an art um, left to chance. The world, I think, will gobble you up with their cynicism and their negativity and so I, by intention, manage my conversations. I, I think about the future, and I, I have great gratitude for the present. Uh, if I never accomplished anything else, I'd be I'm very at peace with the life that you and I have created. But I have great passion for the future and great optimism for the future, and those are conversations that I choose to have with myself and I choose to surround myself with people that are like-minded. And so part of it is mechanical. It's just managing the internal conversation and that results in a vision. And I have a very, I have a crystal clear, very powerful vision that gets me out of bed every morning and drives me to continue to do what I do. And, you know, that that vision is to support people to experience the kind of success that both you and I have been fortunate to have in this profession. And, you know, it's part of the, the challenge of our profession is what inspires me so much. You know, your story, my story are not common. Most people that pursue wealth in this profession do not achieve it. And it's not because they can't. It's not because they don't have the ability. It's because they give up before they develop themselves into having the ability. And so I'm just, I'm just very passionate about helping people change those odds. You know, I, I don't know if I'll have that big of an impact on changing the ratios where, you know, when I'm done with the profession and instead of a small percentage becoming successful, a large percentage will become successful. But that's actually my ideal vision and dream is I continue to look for breakthrough technologies and conversations and ways that we might shake up this extraordinary business model such that most people can be successful. And when it comes to the business model, it's, that's another thing that keeps my passion burning 
I just have never seen a business model, an income model, a wealth building model that even remotely compares to the network marketing model. So if you look at traditional wealth building models, you know, real estate investment is one, equity investment is one, you know, some kind of traditional business is one. It's difficult to build wealth as an employee, uh, you know, working a job. You, you can do it for sure if you really manage your expenses and, and uh, invest uh, all of your extra money. But traditionally the way people pursue wealth is they somehow gather together life savings, mortgage their home, borrow money from everybody, and you know, they invest two or three hundred thousand dollars or two or three million dollars in some kind of business. And you know, what's fascinating is only a very small percentage of those people end up succeeding. And then there's real estate investing, which you know takes a long time and good fortune, good timing and a lot of wisdom. And the number of people that go out to invest in real estate and their vision is, okay, five, six, seven, ten years from now, I'm going to be a multimillionaire because I invested in real estate, you know, that's got to be less than one-tenth of one percent. And the same with equities. You know, the whole thing about let's invest in the stock market and do that for 20 years and maybe we'll end up a multimillionaire. Um, you know, I'm not stupid and I've never made any money in the stock market. So the idea that somebody can invest, you know, maybe $1,000, maybe even more than that in their entire first year of the business and be mentored. You know, this is a key piece of our model to be mentored by people in your exact company with your exact product line and your compensation plan and your culture to be mentored by people who are millionaires and multimillionaires in your business model uh, and to be able to keep your job and your full-time career while you, you know, learn and get competent, um, and then to be able to employ the eighth wonder of the world, it's, you know, it's just extraordinary that these, these guys in 1946 that invented the network marketing model, they broke the rules. They just they shook the whole direct selling industry up when they decided, you know what, why, not, why can't everyone build a sales team? Why, do the, why does somebody have to be appointed before they can build a sales team? And why do we have to limit people to territories? Why can't they build a, a team everywhere? And as soon as they decided, like, why not? Let's do that. They uh, ushered in the era of geometric progressions, compounding, the eighth wonder of the world. Um, uh, it's just the most amazing business model in the world. And then when you bring in the whole personal development aspect to it, um, you know, money doesn't bring happiness. Really, you know, evolving ourselves to be rid of our petty neuroses and our fears and our competitive slants and our comparing ourselves with other people and all of our self-doubt. When you combine those two things, the wealth building with the happiness model, the, the, the ability to like grow up and be at peace with who you are as a human being, I, there's just nothing else like it on the planet, and that's what keeps me passionate. And every time you talk about it, it gets me more excited too. So thank you, honey. I love that. Uh, you said so many things, and I took a bunch of notes, but I kind of want to take a direction on one thing you said in particular, which was that 
you know, I mean, really there is no barrier to entry here, your initial enrollment fee or purchasing a package possibly. So what that means is absolutely anybody can get started in network marketing. And, you know, you talked about this concept once that I thought was fascinating, and I think that it would be really helpful for people to hear this on the line about, you know, 5% of people, I think you said 5% were just naturals, and the other 95% actually had to learn and work at it. Do you remember that conversation? Yeah, sure. Can you kind of share that thought thought with these guys? Sure. Well, it's not specific to network marketing. It's it's just kind of life. Uh, You know, a small percentage of us, and, you know, I'm guessing it's about 5%, uh, a small percentage of us, though, were gifted with extraordinary parenting and environment as children, which you know carried on to our educational years. And we were just nurtured as children, not me, but some people were just nurtured as children to believe in themselves and have courage and you know, see the world as an abundant playground and see opportunities as opportunities, not opportunities to succeed, not opportunities to fail. And, you know, those people, whether they choose to pursue making money with their life or not, those people tend to be successful, successful teachers, successful coaches, for successful health practitioners, successful anything. And when you introduce our business model to those people and they decide it's a fit for them. So it has to be a fit. They have to want to do it. But the conversation they have with themselves is, I can do this, even if they've never done it before. And they're also smart enough to know that if somebody else has done it, they can do it. And if somebody else has done it, they can be coached to do it. They can learn to do it. And these same people when you know when they think about the people they know, and you know, so they try a product, they fall in love with a product. The, the conversation they have when they think about the people in their network is, well, they're going to love this. Well, when I call them up, they're going to listen. Well, when I call people, they're going to return my phone calls. If I invite them to, you know, meet for coffee, they're going to show up. And you know, part of that is confidence, and part of it is also a track record in life. You know, people that are positive and confident and successful. They're credible, and they have influence. And so when you put them in a network marketing opportunity, they don't all go make $10,000 a month. They don't all want to make that kind of money. But they rise very quickly to their own level of ambition. And that's what I would call a natural. You know, maybe they very quickly get to 1000 a month or very quickly get to $10,000 a month. You know, in your case, you were a natural. I was not a natural. You rose to uh, extraordinary heights in your first four years in the business without any experience and very little mentoring. You were a natural. I quit every other day for a couple of years. I made like $4,000 was my 1099 my third year full-time. I was full-time from the very beginning. So I failed miserably my first three years. And and I think the only reason I didn't quit is I just was fortunate to to join the business with four other high school buddies, and they were much more successful than I was. And I just couldn't stand the thought 
of them going on to be successful and me going back to the chicken plant. That's what kept me in the game. And I had to, I had to learn. So that speaks to the 95%. The 95%, you know, we just have a bit of a self-defeating conversation about everything. It's not necessarily about network marketing. And so when, when, we're look, when we're introduced to the opportunity, we may want it really bad. We may love the products. We may love the company. That's why we get involved. But when it comes to actually deploying the systems and the work that's going to build a sales force, we break down because of our internal conversation. You know, we, we don't necessarily think all of our prospects are going to listen to us. We, and they don't necessarily listen to us because of the life that we've created out of doubt and perhaps not being that successful we don't create the same level of influence. So does that mean a 95%er can't make it in the business? Of course not. I'm a 95%er. I made it in the business. What it means, though, is that you've got to learn. You not only have to learn the business and learn the skills, but you have to change your whole thought process. You have to change your vision. You have to change your motivational state. You have to change your conversations, and that doesn't happen overnight. It happens by surrounding yourself with like-minded people that are on fire about what you're doing. It happens by you listening to people and being coachable. It happens by you going to school on what does transformational development you know, look like. It might start off as personal development. These are just terms that I use that you, know, could, you could call them lots of different things, but I kind of call personal development when you're reading books and listening to tapes and, and listening to you know, positive motivational people, those will, those will sort of inspire you to think differently, but they're not necessarily permanent. Permanent happens when you go to work on transformational development, which is you actually take on what you actually think and how you actually think and who you see yourself as, and you go deep and you change who you are. And those processes are, are all possible for any of us to do. It, you know, it takes some people longer than others, but that's how a 95%er can become successful here. It just takes a little longer and takes a little bit more work. And I think you know, probably one of, the, one of the reasons we don't have such a great reputation as a profession is everybody, whether they're a 5% or a 95%er, is out telling everyone, you know, you're going to be successful overnight. You don't have to sell. You don't have to work. You know, just call all your friends, and they're going to call all their friends, and, you know, you're going to win a car and a free trip. And, and for most of us, uh, it's not that easy. Now, I want, to, I want to end the answer, Kimmy, with explaining that here's an epiphany that I had and everybody I've seen go through this process has. When you go through the process of learning and becoming competent and changing your, your dialogue about who you are, your self-image, your self-esteem, your confidence, your belief, your bottom line, your self-motivation, when you go through that process, when you break through the other side, when you become the butterfly, the epiphany is you'll look back on the six months or the year, two years, however long you went through the process and you will just be shocked and appalled at how difficult you made a very simple process. And from that point on, you'll keep it simple. You'll keep to the basics. 
uh, and you'll understand, you know, this business doesn't live in the story about how hard it is uh, or, you know, whether or not you're going to make it or anybody's going to listen to you. It lives in the truth that there are plenty of people that you know and will get to know that want better health and more wealth. They want that. And they want to be around a group of exciting people that are positive and going in the same direction. Fundamentally, people want that. They don't always want to uh, engage in it when you want them to. In fact, most of the time, the time is not the right time. But that doesn't mean they don't want more health and more wealth. So one of the secrets is to be persistent and be, and be patient and keep that opportunity in front of people in a way that does not irritate them until they're ready. And if you, you, know, if you interview anybody in this industry that's making $10,000 a month or more and you ask them, um, you know, how many people did you end up enrolling that actually, actually make you that money? They're going to tell you that 50, per, 50 to 70% of their income comes from one person. So one person makes the difference. And part of the magic here is you don't know who it is. And so you've got you to gotta do the work, and you've got to be patient, and you also have to be persistent, and you have to stay on fire, and you have to stay in massive action. And you have to work with people in such a way that they always consider the possibility of working with you. And, you know, unfortunately in the last 70 years, most networkers have gone out into the marketplace and engaged with people in a way where those people said, uh, not now, not ever. Not the way you engaged with me. So uh, thank you, honey. I, you know, as you're talking, I'm just thinking about all the people who join. And even sometimes when people join and they might be crushing it in their other profession and then they come here and they just don't see that success, and it is really about studying and being committed and showing up, you know, in a way that you, you, you show up in the way that you expect the income to show up for you, you show up for your business. Um, so I just love the concept that 95% of the people in our profession need to learn it. And, and what that means is that's most of us. And for those of, the, those of us on the line that are the naturals, well, you know, lucky for you, but that it can be learned. And Richard's a, a glaring example of that, and I'm curious, I think I know, and I'm curious to see what you're going to say. Do you know the moment that you became the butterfly and that you changed your dialogue? And can you share that story with us? I had two uh, defining moments in my career. Um, one didn't result in immediate success, but it resulted in me um, taking quitting off the table. So if you think about it, most people are engaging this in this, and whether you think about it consciously or not, you can just ask yourself right now um, whether or not quitting is on the table. And I'm not asking for your 
you know, stand up and, you know, tell me the right answer that we're all telling. But, like, deep in your heart, tell the truth that you don't have to tell anybody else, just you, is quitting on the table. Like, could it ever get so bad that you would quit? And the, the truth is, for most people, the answer is yes. Quitting is on the table. And so I had a defining moment where I took quitting off the table. And that defining moment was my mentor, not somebody I talked to every day. He was the vice president of training for the company. Uh, I probably got to hear him live about once a month, and that's because I went to every event. Uh, it was only on the West Coast. So I didn't have to fly to the East Coast or anything, but I went to every event. Um, I was engaged in the business every night of the week, which is not something that's duplicatable, not something we necessarily teach everybody to do. But I, I was in his presence about once a month. I listened to, on audio. to I audio taped everything he ever did. I still have those audio tapes. Um, I audio taped on cassettes everything he did. I listened to it over and over again. The way I, the way I had my belief structured the first year was as long as Kurt Robb, that was his name, as long as Kurt Robb was alive and well and engaged and there for me, eventually I would succeed. But I, here's the thing. I had the accountability for my success on him. The story I had was, you know, sooner or later, he's going to teach me what I need to know. He's going to say it in a way that I'm going to get it or – you know, just because I'm hanging out with him uh, in this company, I'm going to be successful. I had the accountability somewhere else. And about a year into my career on his, he was 40 years old. He went to Maui for a long overdue um, vacation with his wife. She was sitting on the beach. He was waiting out in the ocean. Uh, he turned around and was waving to her. And he got hit by a, you know, as you know, Kimmy, in Hawaii, it doesn't have to be a very big wave, but a rogue wave that was a little out of the norm, knocked him off his feet, hit his head on the coral of the rocks, killed him. And, you know, so I was back in California, and, of course, I heard about it. This is all pre-everything, pre-all forms of communication except the rotary dial phone. Uh, so, you know, I heard about it. And I was just completely devastated, just lost my mind. I went into a total trance, and I quit. It's one of, the, one of the very clear times I quit. And in the process of quitting, I drove my car from Fresno, California, to my hometown of Merced, California. It's about an hour drive. And, you know, when I woke up to what I was doing, I, didn't, I was trying to think, like, well, where are you going? You don't even live in Merced anymore. Why are you driving? And I realized and I was driving home because I was done. It was over. There was no point. And I realized in that moment, so these, you know, epiphanies are inspiration from somewhere. You can decide where they come from, but they just, they're bolts of inspiration that come right through the roof, and in my case, through the roof of the car. And the inspiration that came to me was what a disgrace I was to the extraordinary gifts this man gave me. He taught me more in a year. I was 22 at the time, but he taught me more in a year than I'd learned in 22 years about myself, 
about other people and about success. And he told me many times in that year, he said, you already know everything you need to know to go be an extraordinary success. All you have to do is execute. Just deploy what I've taught you. Just go do it. You know, read the books, listen to, listen to the tapes, role play, practice, uh, talk to people. You know, the only way you're going to get sharp talking to people is, you know, have people knock the rust off of you when you're out there talking to them. He, the only way you're going to learn is to have people walk away and say no, and you learn from that conversation. And so I just realized in that moment that if I quit, his gift was lost forever, at least on me. And with him gone, nobody else in the future, at least through me, was ever going to get that gift. And I decided to become the gift. I decided to not be him, but be the source for other people of the gifts he gave me. And that, you know, sounds kind of, you know, spiritual and emotional, and, and, but what it really is is a conversation about accountability. I shifted the accountability from him to me. From, from that point forward, uh, if it was to be, it was up to me. I took total responsibility for my success or failure. I didn't see it on anybody else. I didn't put it on prospects. I didn't put it on my upline. I didn't put it on my company. Uh, and I took, I took quitting off the table. Quitting was never an option from that point on. Um, the uh, other... Let me just let me interject really quickly because you said my very favorite saying, which is, if it's to be, it's up to me. And imagine for everyone listening to this call, if that's how you showed up in your business every single day, if it's to be, it's up to me. And I'm just so curious, Richard, what would have happened, you know, if another bolt of inspiration would have come from you from somewhere else, had he not had that accident? I mean, we'll never know. Um, but I, that was the story I thought you were going to tell. So what's the other story you're going to share? I, you know, I hit rock bottom. <laughs> I, I hate to, I hate to put it put it out there as like a lesson, but it this is what it took for me. I wouldn't wish it on anybody, but I had to get to the place where I I could not have any more delusional conversations that how I was doing it my way was going to end up in success. And my way was to look for the shortcuts. My way was to procrastinate. My way was to hope some prospect was going to come in the business. My way was to think reading a little bit of a book every now and then was going to make a difference. I was just lazy about it, which resulted in me... Um, I didn't get my home foreclosed on, but I had to sell my home. And I did have, I had to move in with my sister, um, who's probably on this call. And um, I woke up one morning in my sister's apartment in El Paso, Texas, and I went outside. And it was one of those apartments where you park right outside the door. And I went out there, and my car wasn't there. And so I knew why it wasn't there. I hadn't made a payment in six months. But. Uh, you know, I had my car repossessed, and so I was sleeping on her couch, and she was a flight attendant, 
And when she would go fly, I would take her to the airport. She would fly for three days, and I would run the tires off her car for three days. And, you know, I just got to rock bottom, and I just decided that, you know, this how I was doing it wasn't working anymore, and I had to get to the place where I totally face-planted before I realized that. And I wouldn't wish that on anybody. And I, I think that's part of the reason I, you know, when I coach people and train people, I'm, I'm not necessarily, um, I'm not very warm and fuzzy. Um, I'm, I'm pretty bold and direct. And I think probably that comes from I just wouldn't, I don't wish anybody to have to go through what I went through before I got it. And, you know, the, the, kind of the, 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 uh, the worst case, the worst and best day of my career, one of them was uh, my sister needed her car, and I had a meeting I had to go to. I was in, actually in charge of the meeting. It was in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I was living in El Paso on my sister's couch. The president of the company wanted to come to my meeting. I think he was on his way somewhere. And I had a little team in Albuquerque, and I had to take a Greyhound bus from El Paso to Albuquerque. I only had one suit at the time. It was a blue, powder blue polyester suit, uh, and I had a flat tire on my way to Tucson in my sister's car once, and I had to walk like five miles in a 100-degree temperature, and I ruined uh, the pants and my dress shoes on that walk. So I showed up to this meeting with the president of the company, and I had ratty cowboy boots on, ratty jeans on, a powder blue polyester suit coat, and I asked him to pick me up at the Greyhound bus depot. (laughs) (laughs) And we did the meeting, and at the end of the meeting, he said, uh, he loaned me a car. And, yeah, I think that's one of the reasons that uh, I've loaned so many people cars <laughs> or given them cars or whatever uh, is because that car gave me self-esteem. It, it gave me freedom. Um, uh, and, you know, I, I just made it work from there. And it's, it's not like I did anything magical. You probably, A lot of people have heard the story. I... You know, and I moved to Des Moines, Iowa, and I had a little studio apartment. It was cost me three hundred dollars a month, and I ended up sponsoring a guy named Jerry Schaub. And Jerry Schaub was—he wasn't a five percenter. He was not a one percenter. He was a one tenth of one percenter. And I showed him the plan, and he looked at that mess on the yellow pad, and he said, "I can do that." And I'd never heard anybody say it like that. I'd never said it like that. And he went out and uh, in 1980, he made me $100,000. And what I, what I tell people is, you know, I've had a pretty good, and certainly I'm not the most successful networker by any means, um, but I've had a good career. And... You know, people sometimes say, well, how did you do all of those things? I said, well, in today's dollars, if you personally sponsored somebody that made you $400,000 next year, one person, 
do you think you could go on in the next 10 or 20 years and carve out an effective career in network marketing? So, Jerry Schaub. Jerry Schaub, and you changed your story around getting to go see Jerry Schaub, so you changed the whole dialogue there as well as the dialogue around uh, when your mentor passed away. And like I said, you guys, we don't have enough time to cover everything I would dive into and ask you, Richard, just from those stories alone. So this is going to be the abbreviated version. And maybe we can have you back on round two for another interview. But you said something, uh, and it kind of made me chuckle a little bit because there's a couple words that get thrown around that drive you insane. And so I was wondering if you would just cover your philosophy around the word hope and the word should. <laughs> yeah, Les Brown and I uh, shared this stage a few years ago, and somebody asked me about hope from the audience. We were actually doing a, a duet fireside chat, and I went off on my rant on hope, and I didn't realize, I just, I just didn't remember, but uh, Les loves to talk favorably about hope. <laughs> So we had a little argument on stage there for a while about hope. <clears throat> well, it's, it, uh, it's not that I think that um, having hope is a bad thing. Hope is a conversation about possibility, and that's a good thing. Certainly, it's a much better thing than a conversation that has no possibility. Where there is no hope, the people perish. I mean, if you, were, if you were shipwrecked on a deserted island and the circumstances were such or your conversation was such that you had no hope, that would certainly change your, your willingness to live. So from that respect, I think hope is a good thing. Where I think hope is a very dangerous thing is when people rely on hope. And the way they have an orientation to hope is that as long as they have hope, they have a chance. And, and it's kind of like, you know, you have the accountability over on hope instead of on you. So, so many people that I talk to and the way that they use hope is, oh, I, you know, I hope, you know, that my my guest is going to come to the meeting or, you know, oh, I hope I'm going to, you know, rank advance this month or, you know, I, I really hope things are going to work out for me in the business. That use of the word hope is just totally bankrupt. It just does not work. It's undermining. Uh, it's disrespectful to you and the spiritual laws that support success. It's, it's playing the lottery. People that play the lottery have hope. They know in their heart they're not going to win. And yet, they play anyway. And so if you play the game of life that way, if the conversation is, you know, if you're undermining conversation, if you're underpinning conversation is, this isn't going to work, but I hope it does. Or I hope my prospect's going to come to the meeting What's, what's the unspoken there so powerfully is that you don't believe they are coming to the meeting. And so if you don't believe they are coming to the meeting, 
if you want to put the accountability where it belongs, what are you going to do to influence them to come to the meeting? Or are you just going to show up to the meeting hoping that they're going to come? It's just a really dysfunctional use of the distinction. So I don't throw it out with the bathwater. I think it really depends on how people use it. Shoulds. Before you go into should, let me, let me interject before you go into should because you have a very strong philosophy that it, it drew me to you the first time I heard you speak. Um, I think it, it really attracts many people to you, and it's the philosophy of ethical network marketing. And so um, I would love for you to just kind of tie the should into your concept and let these guys hear what you mean by ethical network marketing as your vision of who we show up at in the world as network marketers. So I'd love to hear more on your, your view of ethical network marketing and should. Okay, I know what you mean by that. Um, so, you know, if you, if you go back to um, when network marketing, multi-level marketing really sort of caught fire. It happened in the mid-70s, and um, you know, there are some companies back then that just were reckless and crazy, and um, you know, a lot of very successful people came out of those environments, but the culture sort of took hold for network marketing back then, and it has continued all the way to current day, where once somebody gets in a company and uh, decides that they're going to promote a product and they're going to promote an opportunity, the standard in our profession is that what we will do as sales leaders is we will go out into our marketplace and we will tell people that they should use this product. And of course, we, in most cases, we have all this hype around it, which is, you know, we say really ridiculous things like, this is the best product in the marketplace. You know, and anytime anybody asks, tells me that, I say, really, how do you know? And of course, then it all falls apart because they don't know. They're just repeating hype. They're just making ridiculous claims. We have the, the best compensation plan in the industry. We're the fastest growing company in the history of the industry. No, you're not. You actually don't have any idea what you're talking about. And it's just all this hype and all this rhetoric and it's disrespectful. It's not true. It's disrespectful. And then we, we, it insults people's intelligence. And we, end, we do end up recruiting people because people want to believe that they're going to be selling the best product and they're going to be in the fastest growing company. People want to believe that stuff. And so sometimes it works. But then we take it one step further where we, we, we go to this level of arrogance with our marketplace, with our friends, our family, people we meet, where we're, it's almost like we're pointing our finger at them, we're poking them in the chest, and we're telling them, you should use this product, you, you should take nutritional products, you should take this, you should use this skincare, you should use this ingredient, you should do, you should, you should, you should. And it's, it's just an atrocity. It's, ex, it's extraordinary to me that we... We, are, we put ourselves in a position where we think we know what's best for someone else when we don't know anything about them. 
their life, their health, their finances. Most importantly, what we don't know about them at this point is we haven't even asked them what they want. And, it, you know, it comes to finances too. We go to people who say, you know, you should drive a fancy car and you should live in a big house and you should want to make $10,000 a month and you should be an entrepreneur and you should not have a job. And, and we don't ever ask people, well, what do you want? And, you know, what's amazing, if you ask people what they want, maybe you ask a teacher what they want, they're, they're probably going to tell you, I want to be a great teacher. I want to keep teaching. That doesn't mean they don't want an extra $1,000 a month but they're just horribly offended and insulted. The public is horribly offended and insulted by our arrogance to tell them what they should want based on what we want. So we want to win a car. We want to advance to the top of the compensation plan. We want to be in the fastest growing company. We want to make a lot of money. So we run around telling everybody else that they should too, thinking somehow that that's sales. And it might be sales, just not the way we choose to do it. Uh, my approach is, is I actually was inspired by this pro approach by a guy named Larry Wilson, <clears throat> who's a very prominent corporate sales trainer, has been for 30 or 40 years, Wilson Training Group. I listened to a cassette tape of Larry Wilson's 30 years ago, my, the first nine years of my career, I was a total Neanderthal, criminal, arrogant ass like a lot of people in our profession. I went crazy telling everybody what they should do, how much money they should make, and they were idiots if they didn't. They were Burning haters. Chalk. Yeah, they have fire chalk, and they, and they were haters if they didn't get it. And, you know, the next time I hear a network marketing sales professional call a prospect who doesn't want to get in a hater. I, I just want to slap them. <clears throat> I was that way, but then I listened to a cassette tape by Larry Wilson, just a little single cassette tape called The New Way of Selling. And I had the most profound um, epiphany breakthrough in my career, and I just got it that, you know what, our business model deserves compassion and honor, and grace, and elegance, and honesty. And it, it deserves to be represented by people that treat people with the same value that the business opportunity provides. And, you know, the way you treat people that way is you first and foremost find out what they want. And it's, you know, that's actually becoming pretty popular now. A lot of people are teaching it. Not a lot of people are actually doing it when the rubber meets the road, you know, salesperson to prospect when you're trying to get somebody in. But still, there's, this, there's a big shift in the last five years. Once the generic trainers in our profession, the top trainers, coaches, gurus, all start talking about the same thing, eventually it moves the masses in our profession. And we're seeing an extraordinary shift there. Still gonna, we still have a long way to go before most network marketers are out building relationships first, honoring people first, 
getting to know people first, listening to people, being totally present for people, and then just asking people to look and letting people be in charge of their own life and make their own decisions about whether or not a product or a financial opportunity in network marketing is a fit for them right now, in this moment, with their kids' responsibility, spouse responsibility, job responsibility. Maybe they're taking care of their parents. Maybe they have health, health issues. Who knows what's going on with people in the moment that you invite them to take a look. And by not knowing what's going on with them, it's so easy for us to inter interpret that they don't like us or they don't like what we're doing when, in fact, what's true is in the moment you offered it, they really just don't have the bandwidth to even give it um, a credible look. And so they say things like, I don't have time, I don't like, I don't like to sell, I don't like network marketing, I don't have any money, whatever, and then we label them a hater. Well, the approach is refreshing, and yes, it has, you know, I've been building for seven years, and I've definitely noticed a shift over the seven years. Obviously, now that I am building with you and your company, I am a, a protege of your work, and it just feels good to approach people with honor and integrity and listen. And so for those of you who might be taught a different way, because I was taught a different way when I got started. I was taught the hypey way. I was taught to manipulate. I was taught to just get them in as fast as I could. And so, you know, it, it's to no one's fault uh, as you're joining if that's the way you're taught. But if you're hearing what Richard's saying and it resonates you, then we encourage you to do some more studying on this, this concept of integrity-based prospecting. And, um, and I'm curious, Richard, did you write the four-year career after you heard this gentleman's tape? Well, yes and no. I created the four-year career as a conversation um, right about the time I sponsored Jerry Schaub, um, but probably right before I sponsored him because I, I know I was still struggling. And I didn't go to college, and so I always – thought about college, wondered what would happen if I went to college besides flunking out, which I'm sure I would have done because I hated school. Uh, but one of my creative, desperate prospecting strategies in 1979 was I got the brilliant idea that what I would do is I would go interview marketing majors at Drake University and I'd ask them how many hours a week they were spending studying to be a freshman and how much money somebody was spending for them to be a freshman. And then the same thing, sophomore, same thing, junior, same thing, senior. And I interviewed about 30 of them. And the pivotal question was, how much do you expect to earn your fifth year and how many hours you're going to have invested in earning that money? And I put together this whole college model of, um, you know, you're going to spend thousands of hours and tens of thousands back then, today hundreds of thousands of dollars, to put yourself in a position where maybe somebody's going to hire you. Back then, the average expectation fifth-year earnings for a marketing major from Drake University was $35,000 a year, three grand a month. 
And I thought, my God, what if as a freshman they spent five or ten hours, instead of maybe partying for five or ten hours, they spent five or ten hours as a freshman in college learning how to build a network marketing business. And maybe by the end of the first year, all they're doing is breaking even. And as a sophomore, they spend five or ten or fifteen hours, and they make some money. And as a junior, they stay at it. And by the time they're a graduating senior, because of geometric progressions, which really kick in the third, fourth, and fifth year, they're graduating with a marketing degree from Drake University, but they have a residual income of $5,000 a month. That's what I that's what I figured if people spent that much time and four years that they actually worked it, that I could have them making five grand a month. And then I, I, what I asked these guys is, what would you do job-wise? Where would you live? What job would you take? You know, would you take maybe a year off and go to Europe, or would you do something different for a living? What kind of choices would you make as a graduating senior if you graduated with a residual income of five grand a month and you didn't have to take any job. And so I kept that presentation going for decades, um, you know, comparing, not instead of college, but mapped on to college. What would it be like if graduating seniors had a residual income? What kind of choices would they make different? Would they marry somebody different? Would they live somewhere different? Would they take a different job? And how would that change the entire outcome of their life? For me, it was fascinating how the outcome would be different 10, 20, 30 years past graduation. In 1990, I did a, a live event in Los Angeles um, that I recorded. It's the first time I recorded this conversation, and that CD is available at Bliss Business. It's called The Four-Year Career Live in L.A., um, some of you might find it hysterical that that was recorded before you were born. And I wrote the book, The Four-Year Career, I don't know, eight, nine years ago. And so can you just quickly that, – that's, I love hearing that story. And imagine, I mean, even now with the college kids, if Haley, our daughter, would implement this, uh, the benefits that so many could have as they're entering into the wild west of the unknown. I mean, the stats you gave compared to what they are now and the amount of job availability as you get out of college now and the amount of debt is only, you know, massively increased and more difficult to get out and get some work. So – um, that concept is just so powerful even today. So everybody on this call, if you are speaking with kids who are in college, you know, one of the things that drives me nuts is when people try to promote, well, don't go to college and just get your four-year career in network marketing. You know, Richard said that's not at all what he's saying. I mean, we believe in education as well, equally as important. Some people, college isn't their path, and that's perfectly fine, but college is a great path for many, and what, what better thing to do on that path than build a nice little nest egg on the side? What would be – we're running out of time, but I have a couple more questions for you. What would be um, – like your, your primary, I know you have some videos on Bliss Business on how to use the four-year career, but really quickly, could you just give some insight on the best way that these guys could implement using the four-year career as they're out talking to people about their business? Well, two ways. Uh, one is with existing team members. Um, 
I've done some presentations at Mastermind and GoPro and other places that, you know, sound like this. And I've I've done this all over the nation to tens of thousands of people in different companies. Um, you know, how many of you in the audience think your product line is the most amazing gift from God, life-changing product ever imagined? And, of course, everybody would stand up, standing ovation, oh, my gosh, our products are the most amazing. How many of you think your company and your opportunity is just, you know, just the most incredible, life-changing, no comparison, just the most phenomenal financial opportunity and company to ever hit financial freedom? Everybody would stand up crazy, screaming, oh, yeah, swinging from the chandeliers. How many of you have personally enrolled, you know, five people in the last five weeks? Crickets. Now, of course, there'd be that dynamic where everybody would want to stand up and they'd look to their neighbor to see if their neighbor's standing up because nobody would want to admit they hadn't sponsored very many people. But if there's a thousand people in the audience, a thousand would stand up the first two questions if they told their truth. If they told the truth. 50 maybe would stand up on the last question. So what's missing for the 950 that believe their product will change the world and their company and opportunity will change the world, but they're not enrolling people? And, you know, part of it is training and part of it is confidence, but part of training and confidence is knowing and believing in your business model. And if you went and interviewed those 1,000 people before they got involved in that particular company, let's just say it was their first network marketing company. If you went and interviewed those 1,000 people before they joined XYZ Company, Super MLM Man hits the streets and talks to these 1,000 people and says, hey, would you, what do you think about network marketing? Would you ever consider getting involved in one of those things? Even if you told them what kind of product it was, what do you think those 1,000 people would say? Absolutely not, not ever, 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 ever. And then a week later, they're in a company. How come? Because they met somebody they connected with. They found a product that resonated with them. And they looked at the website and the company video, and it all sounded like Disneyland. So all of a sudden, they are one. A week ago, they couldn't stand the business model. This week, they're giving standing ovations. And it's epidemic in our profession. Most distributors in most companies are emotionally and intellectually still a prospect. They don't believe in the business model. They don't even understand it. They can't even explain it. So the first and foremost use of the four-year career is to master it. If you, if you want to knock it out of the park in whatever company you're in, study the four-year career such that you could teach an hour on it without notes. And you will be 10 foot tall and bulletproof when it comes to representing the network marketing opportunity that your company offers to anyone. And any objection they have will not deter you. That's one way to use it. second way to use it is carry one with you at all times that has your contact information. Carry it with you, not in your car, but with you. And you will just be astounded at the number of opportunities you have when you're talking to somebody and the, and the issue of money or lack of money or financial freedom or college or travel or retirement comes up, and you can pull that book out and you can say, you know, I'm reading this book right here that's teaching me how to send my, college, my kids to college. 
and be debt-free or teaching me how to retire or teaching me how to become a multimillionaire or teaching me how to pay off my debts. And then you just follow whatever you say about the book with this simple question. Follow it immediately with this simple question. If that were true, would you want to read about it? Now, I've asked that question to hundreds of people. I've never had anybody say no. Everyone says yes. So then you just simply say, if I would you, if I loaned you my copy, would you read it in the next couple of days? If I would you, if I loaned you my copy, would you read it in the next couple of days? If they him and haw and say, well, I'm busy, maybe, and I don't know, don't give it to them. If they say absolutely, trade digits, make an appointment to follow up to get your book back, doesn't have to be in person, and follow up 48 hours later. 50% of the people that said they would read it in two days will have read it. The other 50% you'll, ch- you'll chase for the next 50 years. <laughs> Focus on the 50% that have a powerful relationship with their word because of you, as you've probably learned, you'll waste 90% of your career in network marketing chasing people that have no powerful relationship at all with their word. It means nothing to them to tell you they will do this or that. And so we, we listen to their excuses and they make another promise and we wait and we chase them and just focus on the people that read it when they said they would and go from there. Awesome. I, I was just thinking as you were sharing, I was trying to remember who gave me a four-year career because I was given that book before I, I mean, I'd heard you speak a couple times, but I, I can't remember who shared it with me. And I remember reading it and I remember thinking, wow, this book is amazing. And then at the end of the book, I saw the offer for the custom edition. And so I thought, of course, I'm going to do a custom edition with my team. I thought that was such a cool idea. And I was actually already using the book in El Salvador with my team down there because it just really helps people to understand, like you said, the model and get through objections that might be coming up in their own minds. And so, you know, we did a team custom edition and not only did it help my team go out and share the word with people they were talking to, but it really allowed the people who were featured in the book to just feel so great about themselves and what a great edification tool for my entire team. And then now here I am married to you, the author of Before Your Career. It works. Pretty crazy the way the world works. Um, You know, we are running out of time, but I have three more questions for you. Uh, The first question is uh, really quickly because I had a few people ask this, and speaking of us being married, one of these questions actually came from Brandy Jones, and she was asking, you know, do you have any advice for people who are married, working together, building this business, how to collaborate. We love to collaborate so much. And so do you have any uh, quick advice to share for those on the line who are building a business with their partner? Well, that'll be quick. And I'm the kettle calling the black, the whatever black here. Uh, yeah. Have it be, be far more committed, be totally committed to maintaining and growing a successful relationship with your spouse over being committed to being right. So if you, ju- if you just watch, if you could videotape your conversations with your spouse, just notice how much of the conversation is about being right. And what we should have learned, if we have any age on us at all, is that we're wrong 
so many times, even on issues that we fought violently for being right in the moment. But in hindsight, we all have the wisdom that we've been wrong many, 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 many times. We just don't have that awareness in the moment that we might be wrong again this time. And we just tend to fight for being right over being successful, and in this case, having a successful relationship. So what I would encourage people to do is put your relationship way, way in front of what you think it's going to be take to be successful in this business as a partnership. I mean, I've seen lots of people go on be very successful and only one person is building. The other person doesn't even like network marketing. It is possible. Uh, and I've seen many couples that, you know, divvy up the responsibilities where one person, uh, you know, does one thing and another person does another thing. So most important is let go of being right be committed to being successful. Beautiful, honey. I love that. I, I'm never. I'm never committed to being right. Am I? Not me. No. You're not. No. no. Uh-uh. <laughs> so, uh, okay. We do have a question that I just loved from Adam Green, and I hope you guys don't mind if we run a little bit over because I have this question, and then we're going to wrap it up with one last thought. Um, but Adam Green asked, "What was the best?" piece of advice you ever received? And I thought that that was a fabulous question. Walk your talk, which, which for me is integrity, and I don't claim to have it. I just claim for myself that I'm committed to it. And so I notice when I get off, which means, you know, what does that mean? It just, it just means who you say you are, what you represent yourself to be, who you represent yourself to be, what you say you're going to do, what you say you are doing, who you say you are, you practice that. And... You know, if you make a commitment, you honor it. Um, If you say you have certain values, you practice them. And you don't allow yourself to wallow in not practicing them. You don't allow yourself the laziness and the shortcuts and and the immediate gratification of practicing somebody that you say you're not. So it's integrity, and, and you know, I, I can't answer that question without also wrapping it with authenticity. You know, I don't remember who made this cliche, but be you, everybody else is taken. I think that's one of the hardest things for people to get to in, 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 in the process of transformational development not personal development, but transformational development, is to come to grips with what's true for people. What is true for you? Who are you really? What do you hold as valuable really? Not what other people think you should hold as valuable. Not what you want other people to think you hold as valuable. But what is actually 
valuable to you? Who are you? Even the even the parts of you that are politically incorrect and not popular and maybe even sabotage building a business. The, the, I was just One of the greatest lessons I ever learned was just own it and trust it. Trust that people are more attracted to authenticity than they are perfection or excellence or political correctness. Trust the authenticity. Even if your parents would have been ashamed, even if people in public would shun something that you would do, and I don't, I'm not advocating being a jerk at all. I'm uh, just advocating whatever is true for you, trust it, go with it. If you find that who you are in the world is not supporting your path, like if you're a jerk, well, you're not going to build a very successful organization. So what I'm, what I'm saying is own that you're a jerk and make a choice. Stay a jerk or become someone different. But don't be a jerk and pretend that you're not. That steals all your power. One of the original personal development movie, film, like decades and decades and decades before The Secret and vastly more impactful if you pay attention than The Secret is The Wizard of Oz. And if you want a great personal development lesson, go watch the scene in The Wizard of Oz where Dorothy and her clan discover the wizard behind the curtain. Toto discovers the wizard behind the curtain. And look at all the energy and, and pomp and circumstances and arrogant and yelling and and condescending that the wizard is promoting, acting like he's the great and powerful Oz. And the truth is, he's just a man. But with that truth comes great wisdom. And then listen to how he empowers the Tin Man and the Cowardly Lion and the Scarecrow and Dorothy with extraordinary wisdom. It's the greatest personal development film clip in the history of mankind. And it's all about authenticity. Well, and you absolutely live from that place, and you are such an inspiration for so many. So I, I would like to end on a, on a question to you that you might not have a big answer for, but as you look back, you know, it's the end of your life, and you've had a full, beautiful, amazing life. You're in your 90s, maybe hundreds. Um, what <laughs> will you say? You're telling me short. <laughs> <laughs> What will you say your proudest contribution to this profession is? Um, um, perhaps that I had the resolve and the courage to be a contrarian, uh, even at the expense of... Um, fame, recognition, credibility, influence, and wealth. More important to me to be a change agent than to be um, heralded as the greatest, I guess, and 
So I will be um, at peace and inspired by the choice to uh, take a path that inspired change. That's beautiful, honey. A, a change agent you are. You, you've touched thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people's lives in this profession, and you've shared this vision and this new way of thinking. And, uh, I mean, I know for me personally, you turned my, my thought process from wanting to be the biggest network marketer in the world and make the most money of all and really bringing it back to, you know, how much is enough and, and allowing me to tap into my true gifts and realize that I was going down this crazy rabbit hole that weren't my true gifts. And so uh, I would say that you absolutely have already accomplished that. So um, thank you. Thank you for all you do for all of us. Even just these calls every other Wednesday are so powerful, so many gifts for everybody listening, all the nuggets that you bring. You know, you've really brought together the network marketing profession versus divided us further. You've allowed us to come together and, and realize that we can lift each other up and it's a safe place to learn from each other versus trying to, you know, take from each other. So I just want to give you a huge round of applause as we wrap up this call and uh, thank you for who you are in my life. I love you dearly and I, I couldn't imagine my life without you. So thank you. And, I and love as you I too, end. Honey. As I end, that sounds great. I just want to throw out there to you guys before we head down to the beach. Um, You know, Richard, we do have a vision workshop coming up in Arizona on April 8th, and it's in Phoenix, and it's open to, it's not just for network marketers, it's for anyone, uh, any realtor or, you know, any profession out there who wants to come and learn about uh, what the story is you're telling yourself right now. Is that story working for you? How to change that dialogue, as Richard mentioned. And so, you know, if you're available, Uh, April 8th. We recommend that you go to blissbusiness.com, check out all the details. There's been many of the top network marketers who have come and attended this workshop. I I attended it, had massive breakthroughs, and so it's just a a beautiful way to kick into the spring and really start achieving the things in your life even outside of your network marketing business that you you say you want to have and maybe you just aren't getting. So um, what an awesome call, Richard. Thank you so much for allowing me the honor of hosting this with you and being able to interview you and I can't wait to actually replay it and listen to it again so uh, without further ado I'd like to say goodbye to all of you thank you for joining us on this episode of Richard Bliss Brooks Network Marketing Heroes podcast for more invaluable training tools such as audios videos and of course his best-selling books the four-year career and Mach 2 with your hair on fire head to blissbusiness.com for 10% off your order use the discount code hero at checkout If you're serious about building your business, make sure to subscribe to Richard's blog for all the latest tools and articles.